Good morning. Thank you to all of our young folks and those who are young at heart for walking around with us with the palms. It is Palm Sunday. Hosanna. You're all supposed to say Hosanna then. Hosanna. There we go. A couple of announcements, which, by the way, it is March the 28th. Uh, we are having, hopefully, two pieces of special music today. Uh, one is going to appear right after the sermon, which is not marked in your bulletin. Nope, we're just doing the one. Okay, that's fine. Just having the one piece of special music, don't worry about it. <laughs> this coming week is Holy Week. It is the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. A couple of things are happening as usual. Actually, not as usual. We are canceling Bible study just for this week, uh, but we'll be jumping back on that next week. So uh, if you try to log on on Tuesday, I'll get an email later letting me know you tried to log on, but I'm not going to be there. <laughs> on Thursday night, we will be having an online love feast. As you are leaving today, uh, at both the exits, there will be somebody with a bag that will contain all the elements you need, so it will have the information on how to log on, along with the cup and the bread and a candle. And I'll let you know it is the traditional Church of the Brethren bread. On Friday night, we will be having the, the show Jesus by Sight and Sound, uh, live broadcasted here into the church down in the basement level. This is being uh, shown by the witness team, by the uh, recreation and fellowship group team. Uh, you are all invited, and that starts at 7 o'clock. Love Feast also starts at 7 o'clock. I realize I did not say that. Just the other minor, oh, uh, and Sunday morning, we will be having a a very short sunrise service at 8 o'clock across the way in the, um, in the graveyard. You are all welcome to join because of COVID and things as, you, as they have been this year. We will not be providing breakfast, um, but if anyone cares to join me over there for a short moment that morning and then uh, heading back home to, to some warm breakfast back at home, you are welcome to come join me. If there are any other announcements, well then, I invite you to center yourself as we ready to worship our Lord and our Savior.
Thank you, Dick. I was going to do that, though, too. <laughs> if you'll pray with me. God, Hosanna, save. We are here. We are here to celebrate you. To celebrate that day when you walked into Jerusalem, rode upon the donkey, and people shouted, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. We've gathered, and we are so glad to have gathered, to have been raised up in joy. God, walk with us, with our brothers and our sisters, as we come into this time of new life, as the rain opens up the flowers, as baby bunnies come out of their burrows. Give us new life, too, as we await to approach the empty tomb. Lord, be with our brothers and sisters who are in need of you this day. For those who need healing, for those who need presence, for those who need protection. God, celebrate with us this day for healings, for new life, for new joys, for decisions. We lift all this up to you. Amen.
saying that a lot today. There are two readings today. The first from Mark 11, 1 through 11, and then Mark 14, 17 through 31. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany, And at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead, and just as you enter it, there you will find a colt tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt, outside in the street, tied at the doorway. And as they untied it, some people came and asked, what are you doing? Why are you untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. And when they had brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it and sat on it. And he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and he looked about at everything. And since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. 
While they were reclining at the table, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. One by one, they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips his bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him not to have been born at all. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this, it is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood, the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will run scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Jesus, even if I fall, even if all fall away, I won't. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I need to tell you all something. And I fear the fact that there are so many people who have come in here today that next week will be less because of what I have to say. Jokingly. I am a great believer that traffic circles should replace most traffic lights. I know you don't all agree with me, but bear with me. First of all, traffic circles are less expensive in the long run than traffic lights. They take no electricity, they take minimal maintenance, and every time somebody accidentally hits the traffic pole or there's a heavy wind that damages light or just regular maintenance of lights, not to mention someone has to go out there every couple months to retime the lights, it just costs less. You put it in, it does its job, you just gotta mow the grass and fill the potholes, which we're always not great at anyway, I get that. But that same problem happens everywhere. Number two, they are faster and more efficient for your car. I drive pretty much every single day from here to home and back again, rather the other way around. But anyway, I pass a lot of lights. The thing is, is when you get to a light, it doesn't really matter if it's rush hour or not rush hour, it's going to take you roughly the same amount of time to get through it because that's what lights do. They hold you until it's time to go, 
whether there's nobody else on the road or there's lots of people on the road. A traffic circle is always flowing. You never really have to stop. You waste less gas waiting at a red light that doesn't have to be. And let's face it, if it's heavy traffic that slows you down getting into a circle, there's heavy traffic that lights and you gotta wait to get through two cycles anyway. Number three, traffic circles are safer. There's roughly the same a number of wrecks for cars going through traffic circles as cars going through lights. They don't really make that big of a difference, but traffic circles are almost entirely fender benders because you're always merging in and out. So wrecks tend to be at slow speed and merging problems. Whereas when you have a traffic light, you get fender benders, of course, but you know what else you get? Head-on collisions and side impacts. You are four times more likely to die in an accident in a traffic light area as opposed to an accident in a traffic circle. I know not all of you are going to accept what I've told you today, this truth, this gospel, the good news of traffic circles. That's okay, because evidence also shows that while there is a great deal of angst about a traffic circle being put in, by the time it's been a year later, almost unanimously, people will think, why did I ever oppose it in the first place? These are awesome. I was, I've off, I, for a long time, have been a fan of traffic circles, but it came back to my mind when I was listening to a show that's called Freakonomics. It's an exploration of where economics and sociology meet. It's a great show. And I heard these two passages as I was thinking about it. It's easy. Humans were actually really good at adapting to things. I, a year ago, did you imagine that you could spend most of your time in a mask and be overall okay? We got used to it. Can't say I'm still a huge fan of them, and I am certain that more than one of us has probably formed little calluses right here at least it no longer stings, right? I don't know, I've worn glasses forever. It's not like those calluses weren't already there. We're good at adapting, but we're not good at being ready to adapt, being ready to change. When the disciples walk in, we get a quotation. Well, we, Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy. In the other versions, they actually quote the prophecy. It's out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. If I want to read the whole section, this is 9 through 17. Greatly rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a colt. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, 
and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of my blood, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore you twice as much. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as if wine. They will be like a full, they will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as the shepherd saves his flock. They will sprinkle, they will sparkle in his land like jewels on a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. This passage, that's what's going through the disciples' heads. Jesus is fulfilling that first bit of the prophecy. Here comes the king, the new David, riding in upon the back of this young donkey. Hosanna, save us, God. Hosanna, here comes the Savior. It's been a long, hard road for the Jews. There's a second group that's brought into here, Ephraim. This isn't just regular restoration of the Jews. This is full restoration of the people of God something above and beyond. Ephraim is the youngest son of Joseph. Joseph, uh, Jacob, Israel, was getting old. Joseph takes his sons to, to Jacob to be blessed, and Jacob blesses them and raises them up to have equal standing with their uncles. So there's actually 13 tribes of Judah or of 13 tribes of Israel when they come into the Holy Land. Levite just doesn't get his own land. They're spread out in all, among all the nations to fulfill their duties as priests. So eventually, there are two nations. They can't hold together as one. The southern, which is Simeon, Benjamin, and most importantly, Judah in the south. And in the north, the other tribes, plus Ephraim. Not really plus Ephraim, mainly Ephraim. Ephraim is the one who leads them just as Judah leads the south. Ephraim eventually disappears. It's gone, conquered by Assyria, spread out among the nations. This will eventually happen to Judah, but Judah is given the chance to come back 
to resettle Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. This fulfillment, this fulfillment of the day of the Lord isn't going to be just for you, Judah, you Jews. It's going to be for all of the people of God, all of the children of Israel, of Abraham. God will open it back up. We'll bring them all back into the nation. But God's going beyond that. God is breaking the swords, the bows, the chariots, hopefully not breaking the war horses, but sending them out to enjoy themselves. God is raising the new nation as it was always intended to be. The nation that existed for little bits and pieces of time underneath the judges, underneath David, even a little bit under Saul. But never really fully came. It's coming back in fullness. You will be restored to the land that is full of milk and honey with wheat and wine. I will throw out the oppressors, God says. You, O oh Greece, with your Alexander who conquered this land, with your, his generals who abused us, with you, Rome, descendants of Greece, I will throw you out too. And I will raise back up my nation as it once was, a return to Eden. Hosanna makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? God, do this. Hosanna, save us. God, hear. God, hear. They were hoping to replace Hosanna with another word by the end of the day. Amen. Amen is one of those words we just use reflexively. What do you say when you end a prayer? What do you say when... You know, our wonderful musicians come up here and play and sing awesomely. We, we just say it. Now, it comes from the Hebrew. It means, let it be so. And it's used often in the Bible as a way of concluding prayer, of concluding a wish. It's a seal. It's saying, God, this is what I want. I'm going to write it down in this prayer right here. I'm going to close it up. I'm going to seal it. Here you go, God. Amen. Let it be like that. The thing is, God doesn't always work like that. We can always lift things up to God. We can always trust that God's going to do the right thing, but it's, it can be hard to accept that sometimes the way we imagine things are going to be aren't the way it's going to work out. We say, Amen sealing what we wish. I am sure that was what they were hoping. They marched up the road, up through the gates, up to the temple, the high spot where the great temple of God sits and looks out over the people, over the land of God. And Jesus gets up there, looks around, says, it's kind of late, let's go home. 
Really? We, we just had a parade. We're going, okay, maybe tomorrow. So they come back the next day. They come back in and Jesus does a lot. Throws over tables, hopefully gently opens some baskets to let the birds go free. We're told that there's much fluttering of doves, so the baskets were being broken. I don't, again, animal lover, I don't like to think Jesus kicked the baskets. Then Jesus stands there at the front of the temple and starts preaching. Starts preaching and teaching his way, the way to God. He starts preaching against the Sadducees and the Pharisees who have long since perverted the way of God, making it about money or power or pride. This is it. The kingdom of God is here. Zechariah is right. He is going to kick the Romans out. He is going to re-raise the temple. Wait, where are you going, Jesus? Jesus! And then they're sitting in the home of Simon. And Jesus is talking about death. His death. This is not what we asked for, God. We said all men to what Zechariah was envisioning. And Jesus sits them around the table and tells them, I'm going now. I'll meet you in Galilee. If this was Scottish, you know, you take the high road, I'll take the low road. I'll be going there ahead of you through death. It's not what they wanted. But at least we can be loyal, right? No, you're not going to be very loyal. You're going to run away. Seriously? It's when it comes to another word, which for some reason the double dots didn't carry through when it went into the bulletin, but usually there's a dot below the S and the E on the title of this. It's pronounced ashe. Amen and ashe. I encountered Ashe in seminary for the first time. Basically, you know, some of my brothers and sisters who have African descent would use that word in place of amen, or we would say amen and Ashe. Ashe comes from the Yoruban religion, which is an animistic religion. That means they traditionally have worshipped the spirit in everything. The spirit in the trees, the spirit in the animals, the spirit in the earth, and the rocks in us. But just as Christianity, when it encountered European traditions, changed and shifted and adopted some of those traditions into itself, Ashe was twisted and changed and adopted into Christianity to be used a lot like what we would now say, Amen. But it means something a little different, too. Ashe is the power, the force of the spirit that lies within each of us. That power that changes. If amen is a way of sealing something and lifting it up to God, ashe is a way of taking something to the Holy Spirit and saying, change me. Change this world. 
it starts with the Amen, with the Hosanna. God, hear our wish. But in the end, they accept the Ashe. God, change us. Because the kingdom comes just not in the way they ever thought, they ever imagined. They expected Zachariah's vision, not understanding that Zachariah's vision was something far bigger, that Jesus' vision of the kingdom of, the he of heaven was something far bigger. But they had to accept it and change, and they do it. By the time we meet Peter and the rest of the disciples in, in Acts, they've come to realize. They've accepted the Holy Spirit on them, and they've come to realize the kingdom something bigger, bigger than they've ever imagined, something different than they've ever imagined, and they've let go of that sealed wish that they had lifted up to God and accepted what God gave them. And so they have to say something a little different, though they don't actually say it. They say, Ashe, God, change us. Spirit, change us. Live the world that you have called into being through us. I don't expect that you're all going to leave this place and call up your town supervisors and say, I think we need to put in more traffic circles. I can hope it, but I don't see it happening. <laughs> but that's not a big thing. That's a little fun thing to show how we change and adapt when we realize things are different than we expect. But Easter is coming. Easter, that time when the empty tomb confronts us. First confronted by the cross, the end. As we thought, death is the end. Isn't it? And then we're forced to reevaluate, to look back, and then the call on God to change our outlook, to grow. So, amen. And ashe. May you rely fully on God, lifting everything up to God. Ashe, may you be open to the change that God lives in you through you. Amen and Ashe.
did you plan the all men in there? That just happened. (laughs) The palm branch symbolizes our joy at the coming of the Lord into the sacred city of David. The assumption that he will once again take the throne and it will be God's nation. The palm branch also symbolizes that he did it, just not the way we thought it was going to happen. That it grew into something we didn't expect, something bigger and better. So as you go out into this week, preparing for Easter, and I hope to see some of you joining us for Love Feast and the Good Friday movie, I pray you are transformed, transformed by the Spirit, that it runs rampant in your life. Amen and Asheh.